This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is gorillas. Before we get to today's interview with the brilliant poet Jennifer Rood, I asked you all to review the show and promise to read some reviews. The Ink to Film podcast gave us a review last week. Ink to Film is a great show about film adaptations of literary works. Check that show out after you finish this one. Uh, link to that in the show notes. And they said, what a fun episode. Fonda Lee is such a great guest, and I'll co-sign the awesomeness of the Viable Paradise Workshop. It was such an impactful experience, it's hard to put into words. Thanks, Ink to Film. Thank you to everyone who's left comments. And if you feel so inclined, please give this, quote, ancient stupid bald mayo monkey, unquote, a thumbs up or some stars and tell a friend about the show. Your generosity of spirit is greatly appreciated. Salutations, hail and well-met readers and reviewers. Welcome. Today's guest is Jennifer Rood. Jennifer Rood is a poet who has lived most of her life in Southern Oregon, teaching high school English, social studies, and art. Last summer, she retired from a 30-year teaching career in order to make time for living a more contemplative life. She's a past board member and president of the Oregon Poetry Association and had the pleasure of serving last fall at the Oregon Caves National Monument as their artist-in-residence. Her more traditional poetry has appeared in many journals and anthologies, including The Literary Hatchet, Verse Weavers, Green Prints, and others. She also creates hybrid pieces of found poetry and art, which appear in her new book, Present and Speaking Everywhere, that is coming out from Notify Publishing. And I can't wait to show this book to people. It is so beautiful. I just got my hardcover before Jennifer has seen it. <laughs> so this is on its way to you. And, you know, it should arrive any day. And you are just... I'm so excited. Oh, people are just going to love this. So thank you for being here. How's it going today? It's going great. It's a beautiful day in Southern Oregon. It, it's it's actually, if anything, a little too warm here. I'm like, I'm, I am dressed for winter in a sweater and I don't need to be. It's a gorgeous day today. Um, so we always you know dress up in our costumes for this show and mm -hmm. and and yet we have to describe them for the folks who are listening on the podcast so what did you tell everybody about your costume because that is wild all right well i am dressed as a spelunker and that for those of you who are not familiar with that term is someone who explores caves and so obviously i have on my um hard hat my helmet um my my flashlights i've got a backup flashlight kind of a utility belt thing going on um definitely warm layers gloves because those rocks can be sharp inside the cave uh let's see also have some rope um good to be able to find your way out if you're going in and then also to be able to use it to climb up and down um there's some drops that you don't want to fall down sometimes. And uh, let's see, good boots, camera. Um, I'm just well prepared today. 
Yes, it, it, it is remarkable how little the technology has changed from searching for the Minotaur in the maze. That you've is got to have the rope and you've got to have the torch and then you're, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to go extreme uh, as well. And so I've got my whole uh, skydiving gear. So I've got my chute. And I've got my, you know, my my uh, flight suit here. And I am, you know, similarly, you know, if you're going spelunking, it can get cold down in those caves. And when you are skydiving, it's chilly up there. And this is not an appropriate thing to be wearing in my study at all right now. It is too <laughs> warm in this, but uh, I am ready, you know, and if I accidentally pull this ripcord, uh, it's going to be a, a big giant mess in here. But uh, <laughs> I, I will try and uh, not do that during the show. Um, so good. I wanted to ask you about this experience of being an artist in residence in the Oregon caves. What was that like? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I wasn't in the caves the entire time. I actually <laughs> lived with the rangers um, at the chateau, the chalet. There's two buildings and I never can keep those straight. There's a chateau and a chalet. Anyway, one's closed down. It used to be a place where you could go and stay um, but it needs some repairs after a big uh, flood, like mm. nearly washed it away. Um, anyway, I'm, I got to stay in a little apartment above the visitor center um, with the rangers. And um, I did get to go in the caves a number of times. Um, that was neat. All I had to do was tell a ranger I wanted to go in and they would give me a free little ticket and I'd go on the tour. Um, they also, rangers are cool, by the way, um, they invited me in to go do some cleaning up that they needed to do. You know, they've got lights in the cave and they need to, um, they need to go in and restore the cave away from the algae that grows near the warm lights. And so they go in and they do some cleanup sometimes. They had to go in and do a, an animal um a fauna um count and we found a salamander and some weird little bugs and um anyway um yeah. i had a great time going in i had a great time hiking um it was just um it was a lovely experience and i got to spend five weeks doing it and they do that whole spiel about the boots and switching your footwear to make sure it's not something that oh. goes to the bats Absolutely. In fact, the Oregon Caves is one of the very few in the nation that so far doesn't have the white nose. Um, I forget exactly what it fungus? is, but it's a disease. It's a fungus, yeah. maybe. Uh, I am not sure. <laughs> I am in the humanities. I am not very sciencey, yep. trying to be more sciencey, but um, it's a white nose thing. And that's all I know. And yeah, you can't wear clothes that you've worn in any other cave. And right now, Oregon Caves is still clean. Yeah, yeah. For folks who don't know, this this uh, particular, I believe it's a fungus, but I'm not positive either. But it infects bats and will just decimate a, a bat population. Uh, more than decimate, uh, you know, obliterate a, a bat population in a particular cave. And so this has been spreading all over the country because of humans. We take it into these cave systems and then it spreads from bat to bat and it will just, you know, knock out a bat population. And the Oregon Caves still have this remarkable bat population because they haven't been hit yet. So please yeah. take that seriously when the ranger says, don't wear those boots in. You don't want to be the person who do infect right. that cave system. 
Um, so when you were there, how long was this for you? How long were you there? I, I got to stay for five weeks. Um, okay. Since it was, it was really cool. Five weeks is a great amount of time for a residency. Um, you know, at one week, I was still just getting my feet wet. At two weeks, I had hit kind of a stride. By three weeks, I was really producing. Four weeks, I was starting to think, oh, no, I don't want to leave. And five weeks, it was wrapping up. Um, you know, the season was changing. It was getting colder. We were anticipating snow. And the caves closed down um, for the season, actually. Uh, they're at 4,000 feet. And um, anyway, you know, yeah. in the mountains, so, in the Siskiyou. You know, I don't want to get too much into process, but what were you writing? What were the kinds of projects that were coming out of this experience? So... Um, yeah, this is supposed to be about writers not writing, right? Right, right. But, how we but, procrastinate, but it often turns into what we're working what on. What we're writing about, how we do the things. Um, so what I would do is I would get up every morning, have my coffee, because that's a necessary thing. Right. Um, and then I would sit down and start journaling. And usually it was about dreams. Sometimes it was about plans that I had for the day. Um then after I had kind of written out some thoughts, um, then I could go back and look at poems that I'd already written and tinker with those maybe a little. Uh, but I, I generally didn't get new poems in the early morning. I had to go out into the world and then come back and have something to process. Yeah. Um, I did better writing in the afternoons and late at night. But I had to get it started. I had I had a journal every day. So how much did you find that caves as as metaphor or caves literally played into the work? So my purpose there was to interpret the monument. And the monument is more than just the caves. So there's definitely the underground. But I spent a whole lot of more time above ground and hiking the trails and you know, just enjoying seeing the seasons change. Um, the The park was central to what I was doing. Um, so I was writing about history. I was writing about big time because going into the caves wow. is going back in time um, to see stalactites and stalagmites that have taken hundreds of thousands of years to grow and connect. Um, I and mean, there's connect. a wonderful metaphor there, right? That, you know, yes. this, this deep time to reach this connection. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite poems that I wrote was, it was a love sonnet between a stalactite and a stalagmite yeah. that were moving towards each other through time, like not even being able to know that the other one was there, but then finally they meet and they kiss and they, they become this formation in the caves called the Grand Column. And, um, Anyway, and it just keeps growing. And so there's beautiful metaphor there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, and there's, there's just, there was fun stuff too. Um, there is a tiny little bug that's a holdover from the last ice age. It's called a grillo bladded and it's, it doesn't do well in warmth. So it has to be in the cave um, where it's cold. And, or at least in the 40s um, year yeah. round. And um, it has antifreeze blood. And if it goes out into the, or I guess, I guess, you know, 
it's not blood it's whatever bugs have um but it's it can't be in war or it dies and anyway i love knowing that that there were was this endemic species to the cave that had gone underground because climate had changed and it had to find a place where it could live so it's still there i love the idea of a little bug but yeah i looked at um, I learned about bugs. I took a tree identification book around with me when I hiked. Um, it was fall, and so bucks were coming down the mountain. Um, I got to see does and fawn. I did not see a bear or a cougar, but rangers reported that they were out and about. And so... And the um, cougars you generally don't want to see. No. If you see a cougar, probably something bad is about to happen because they're yeah. really good at hiding. <laughs> I, the cougar has seen you first. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, well, talking about that bug reminded me this last week I learned about the volcano snail. I follow a lot of biologists, uh, uh, you know, scientists of various different disciplines on Twitter. And somebody was posting about the volcano snail. And this is a snail that lives in volcanic uh, uh, spaces in the bottom of the Indian Ocean. Ooh. And it feeds on this sulfurous, uh, you know, uh, releases from these underground fissures that no, uh, you know, other species, very few other species could mm -hmm. live in. It would be super toxic. And it ingests this stuff and then produces a, an iron shell, a, you know, a bright metal looking oh. iron shell. It has these enormous uh antennae in the front so it, and that are bright red so it's you know silver shell bright red pink body and then along its foot it's got these layers of iron that it is producing so the thing looks like an absolute monster like it's terrifying yeah. how <laughs> big know? are they do you know i don't that i don't know and, and you know the pictures i'm seeing are so blown up that mm -hmm. it's like maybe this thing is tiny but it is yeah. looks like it's coming out of a horror film but the fact that you know same thing this is something that found an uh you know an ecological niche Mm -hmm. The world changed around it. I mean, you know, the yep. atmosphere we breathe doesn't even, didn't even exist. It was all carbon dioxide at the time. And this mm -hmm. thing went, yeah, but I can live on this, you know, on this, uh, uh, you know, incredibly, I guess that would be nitrogen rich. What's coming up out of those vents, you know, that, you know, would kill you and I basically yeah. instantly. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I'm cool down here. And it, yeah. So look, folks, look up the volcano snail. It's wild. And I love finding, you know, learning from these mm -hmm. you know, genuine experts about these things. I mean, this is the kind of thing where I saw it and I was like, is that AI? Like, is yeah. that real? Yes. Our world has these amazing <laughs> creatures in it um, that are just totally fascinating. Like that bug that has to yeah. live in 40 degree weather you know, and the caves provide that constancy. You go, I mean, if folks have not gone down to the, the Oregon caves, highly, highly recommend. Just such a cool experience. It is. Um, so now that you're back and back in the world, uh, mm -hmm. what has been a distraction that has been keeping you away from your work lately? Oh, well, you know, when I was at the caves, I would get up and there was absolutely no cell reception up there. And mm -hmm. so I couldn't just get on my phone and play my games. But um, now that I am home, part of my coffee routine in the morning is to, is to, you know, fill it up a few times and then just go through a number of these little word games that I love. And so I usually start with, um, 
I usually start with a game on AARP's website I joined recently. Um, <laughs> it's called Word Wipe, and it just it takes you through levels, and you have to just with your finger find the words to to clear a level, and it gets progressively harder. And anyway, it's um it's timed, and so there's like this urgency to it. And um, anyway, so I enjoy Word Wipe, and then. I go to the New York Times um, little little games. Um, I like Wordle. I yeah. can almost always get it in four. Um, I'm happy if it's less than four. Yes. Um, I I rarely fail to get it in six. I had a rare fail earlier, like this month. But have you ever um, had a Have you ever had a one? No. So I've had a I, two. I, I have had it. I use the same starter words. And oh, so I don't. I have only had it the one time because it happened to be my starter word. And I was so happy. It made my whole day. Yeah. My partner has had it like six times. And Is I'm she... like, that, that's, she uses a different word every day. Mm -hmm. And she's just magically hit it six. And I'm like, that's witchcraft. Like That's, that's amazing. <laughs> right? I'm it's jealous. Wild. Someday I'll hit it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but uh, my, I, my, I've got a cousin who posts his results I, I used to, you know, post mine every day yeah. on on Twitter and that kind of thing, and I kind of got when tired it was new and hot, right, yeah. right. But my cousin still posts his every day on Facebook, and it's gotten me into posting mine as a comment on his, yeah. and it, he keeps me honest. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm my I'm I'm not doing my streak. Oh yeah, but David's gonna post about his, and he's much better at it than I am. I'm like, if you know, if I get four, I'm satisfied. Five, I'm starting to go, and six, I'm terrified. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a you know four, five, six person. But yeah, I love Wordle. That's a fun one. Yep, 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 yep. And then I'll do they. They have a little spelling bee thing. It looks like little hexagons that look like honeycomb, and you have to to make words there. Um, there's a game called Letterboxed. And how does that one work? Um, there's a box um four-sided box three letters on each side and in um i think it's six moves you're supposed to be able to use every letter but like you can't use the letter that's on the same side consecutively mm. um so if i did like s-t-a-r my next word would have to start with r and then, you know, they throw weird things in there like cues and um, and then you have to make it all work. And there's always anyway, there's a strategy to it um, to be able to make that happen in um, I think it's six. I forget. Um, but there's that the mini crossword. And then if I if I'm done with that, sometimes I'll go to Peggle. I don't know if you know Peggle. Um, and then. Um, Candy Crush, I kind of just, I, I got, it It was too much eventually. Yes, eventually I got you get to the point where you go, I'm spending too much time on this, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Have you tried the uh, New York Times Connections? 
Oh, I do like that. That one is hard for me, but it is I hard. It, I'm like, yeah, I got the, you know, and it doesn't keep stats, which simultaneously frustrates me and is a relief. Like, okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to look no, back on how many times I failed because that one's tough. But that one's my son got me into that one, and uh, that I, last week I was talking with Fonda Lee on the show, and that's one of hers. She's mm-hmm. really, she's really good at it. I am, I'm learning, <laughs> but it's fun. And then there's a history. There's a um. There's one where you, you put different historical events in order. I might and, be better at that one. I should check that one. What's, is that on uh, the Peggle site or is that? Um, boy, I I get the New York Times like newsletter mm. every morning. And since I'm signed up for the newsletter, it comes to my mailbox once a week. Okay. So um, anyway, that's a fun one. But. I'll confess, I've got a master's in history, American history, and I've taught world history, and I don't often get yeah. a perfect score. Yeah. So, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the nice, I mean, the nice thing about those is, you know, I mean, it, it is true that with the word ones, there's a chance you're learning new words, but for you and I, I mean, especially like with Wordle, I'm not learning yeah. new five letter words. In fact, often no, having a large vocabulary is a detriment. You know, because they're not going to go with the most, you know, uh, out there, you know, word. They're going to go for more predictable words. But the history ones, you could genuinely be learning. Oh, I yeah. never realized that was before that other thing. So Right, right. Um, yeah, that, that's one I'll have to check out. Yeah, that's fun. What's a news story that's been pulling you away from your writing lately? All right. So I know I said that I'm not very sciencey, and that's true. But I love birds. And... um I'm kind of a backyard identifier and um, I'm the person who will, you know, like ask my husband to slow down if I see a cool bird. Yeah. And um, anyway, I've not done a big year or anything like that. Seen the movie, but um, I, I just, I like birds. And so um, something that just happened recently in Portland is that, and it's, it's going on all across the U S um, there's a controversy about um, the name Audubon for the Audubon Society, and the big group has decided to keep Audubon as the name of the society, um, but there are a number of individual groups, local groups, that have decided they're going to change their name because Audubon was a slaveholder, and There's a movement within the birding community to move away from um, that bit of history, right? And to, anyway, Portland, um, yay Oregon, right? Yay West Coast um, decided that they were going to change their name to simply from Portland Audubon to Bird Alliance of Oregon. Yeah. And I like that. It's, it's an alliance, right? Yes. It's a, I think, is that what New York did as well? I think they were one of the first to move away from Audubon. Maybe. What I think about New York is I think about um, that that one, yes. um, oh, you know what I'm talking yes, about, right? There was, a, there was a black man who was out yes. birding in Central Park and a woman came up and... Yes. I mean, um, this white woman used the yeah. police as a weapon. 
Like, yeah. basically, you know, I know that you will be put in great, much greater jeopardy because you have annoyed me. And so I'm going to scream and yell and call the police. And he right? was really wonderful about it and said he to was. people who wanted to support him, hey, if you would like to support me, I don't need your money. I didn't end up getting arrested, but you could send money to the Audubon Society of New York. And I, I mean, I admit I did like, you know, like, sure, I'll, I'll send yeah. them five bucks or whatever. And so I've been getting those emails, uh, even though I'm not a birder. I was just like, what a yeah. great gesture on his part to say, I'm going classy. to convert this trauma into something positive uh, and something that I love and uh, and turned it into uh, a, a really wonderful thing. And that's where I saw that I think the New York, well, formerly New York Audubon Society has changed their name, but I'm not sure if it's the New York Bird Alliance. Or Bird I'm Alliance. not sure. I'm not sure we'll what out. New York did. I know Portland just announced it this yeah. week. I think um, it's really cool. And I think it is worth kind of reflecting on, you know, there's this feeling people have of threat. And it's like, this is not some external force that is forcing the Bird Alliance to do this. This is people power. This is people making yeah. a decision together to say, we don't want to be associated with, the, you know, uh, Audubon himself. What was his name? Charles Audubon? I believe so. Yeah. And, I believe uh, so. You know, we don't, and, and, and that's, that's, Right. Like, you know, they get to decide who they are as a community. And if they don't want to be associated with him, I think that's wonderful. I do, too. And it's part of a bigger movement of renaming. Mm -hmm. um, there's geographical um, sites that are being renamed to, um, oh, get rid of offensive language. I don't want to, like, mention the offensive language. Right, but, right. Yes. Um, but to be more um i don't know sensitive to the fact that sometimes in history there's um there's power that winds up expressing itself in the way we we talk about the world and right. Well, and there's this this misnomer that people will you know people will say there's this myth that if we change things we are erasing history in some way yeah and it's like, no, for one thing, often, you know, one of the things that I've heard is, oh, we're taking away this part of history. And the implication is that these things were named in 1865 or 1875 or whatever. Yeah. And they weren't. They were named in 1930 by members of the KKK. You know, like this was this was already a propaganda effort. And this is a deprogramming of a propaganda effort, which is, you know, I acknowledge also propaganda like this is. This is correcting a wrong, and that correction is going to feel hostile to some people, but it's correct. It was hostile to some people exactly. in the first place, yes. right? Yes. And so I would like to think as we become more open and democratic and um, thoughtful about how we use language in a world where we're always talking to each other, um, like with social media, you used to have a small little group. Right. And, um, but it's, it's a bigger world and I think it's good to, um, be more sensitive yeah, to, to other people's perspectives and histories. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, there, there is no harm in, since the change is inevitable anyway, there's no yeah. harm in doing it thoughtfully, you know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so, well said. uh, so what has been a hobby that pulls you away from your writing? Well, I was just outside because it's a beautiful day, right? Been waiting for the days to be a little bit sunny and a little bit warmer. 
and um, I love being in my yard, but I am also taking um, master gardener classes now through the OSU extension office here in Josephine County. And I wanted to do it for years and years and years, become a master gardener. But because I was a teacher full time and the classes happened on Thursday afternoons, there was no way I could do it. Um, So now that I am retired, um, I am able to do this. And so I've been doing the classes and doing the volunteering because it's it's a volunteer group as well. And it just makes me think all the time and spring is coming. And so I'm thinking all the time about, um, well, today it was pruning and transplanting some little, little guys. And I planted some seeds and, um, and set up a, a little, oh, we've got one in our garage. It's just a little greenhouse, Mm -hmm. but it's like self-contained. Um, it's not a traditional outside fun greenhouse. It's like you zip it closed and control right, the right. moisture and stuff. Right, right. But you use stuff. it for starts and then re- yeah. remove those things? Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, then they're totally protected and happy. Right. And so I, I've planted I so a couple jealous. of that, I basil mean, that, plants. Yeah. That, I, my daffodils are just starting. And, and and you know, I saw them while going out to work yesterday and was like, I need to, you know, I, I, I need to find the time. <laughs> to get out into my garden i've been yeah. for years now i've been growing roses and then taking cuttings and then mm-hmm. i take the cutting dip it in a little bit of growth hormone and literally stick it in the ground like that it's that easy but if you do it during the wet season which we have lots of here in, in the fall or uh spring sometimes they take and if they don't it's a little dead stick sticking out of the ground okay i toss it but some of them go and so now the front yard is lots of roses that need lots of pruning <laughs> i've got a lot of right. work to do out there right yeah i got i got stuck the other day mm. doing my pruning of roses um but yeah you sound like you're kind of an accidental gardener and exactly. i like that yeah i love that this was a, mm-hmm. an effort to replace there was a, a a lawn in the front yard and i was mm-hmm. like and it's very small in front of my house it's a very small lawn. the you know the the larger one is in back and you know and i was like i hate having to take the mower around to the front to yeah. mow this. let's just remove the lawn and grow flowers i vastly prefer flowers anyway and then the roses come back so they take care of themselves except they are a lot of pruning cuz they there are a lot of pruning <laughs> yeah definitely but it's good results, right? Yeah. You get what you put in. You get out so of it. Do you have you... some big ambitious plans for your garden for this year with this class? I have had ambitious plans for years. And <laughs> just yeah. never, never the time. Um, my biggest expansion of my garden actually happened in 2020 when schools shut down. And same here. um yeah. And I I had like two and a half raised beds and then I added four more. Oh wow. And yeah, so I've got I've got six or seven raised beds. Um but I I want to do more natural, well not natural, um Pacific Northwest landscaping. Yeah. So native, that's what yeah. I mean. Um native plantings and I have a lot of grass in the front yard and it's just this long flag lot and it's between two ugly pieces, strips of land. And I want to have it just kind of roll and flower. And um, 
not take too much water, but still be beautiful and still be a pollinator heaven. And um, so I do have a lot of plans, but it's not going to all happen this year. Right. Yeah. Well, so I it's for us as I don't I wonder for us as teachers, is that harder or easier? Like in some ways, our our profession you know, lends us to this idea of I've got to do it now because this ninth grader only gets this one shot at ninth grade, you know, and so it's right. got to be done. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. And a garden forces us to go slow down. This is going to take years, yeah. <laughs> you know? which is healthy. It is. It is. And gardening, you know, saved me when I was just all in my head with teaching, yes. just going out and being in my dirt. And my husband called it, you know, you need to go play in your dirt, don't you? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, were you? I, I was noticing this yesterday. You were the president of the OPA, and you were uh, in your uh, in your local. What was your position in the union? Because you were involved in. in the, I was I was doing everything all oh at my once. Gosh. I was looking well, because I, I, because I say yes to everything, and I yep. love everything, and I don't. I have a fear of missing out. I don't want to mm -hmm. not have an experience that's there to have, and so um, yeah, I overcommit, and then. I'm happy that I've done the things and I have the experience, but I get exhausted sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, I was, um, I was OPA, a board member, and it was never my intention to like ascend. Right. Um, I just wanted to be one of the at large board members, help out here and there a little bit. Um, and then the second year um, they said, uh, they wanted me to be president the second year. And I said, I can't do that because it was, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. And I was yeah. wrecked from just the changes at school. And I, I don't think folks, I mean, I, I'm actually, I shouldn't say that. I bet a lot of folks do understand, but they don't understand it very differently, but in right. different professions, you experience this differently, but for, for teachers, you know, switching the way we did everything all at once was overwhelming. I mean, I suppose that was the case in, in many professions, but yeah, it was really, really jarring. And so folks thought, oh, we're, we're slacking and we're at home. No, we're totally relearning how to do our jobs. It was really challenging. And then when we came back, we had to not only do the work in class, but we had to also stream in the Zoomers yep. from home. And so we, our jobs doubled Yeah, and in a way, right? You had to manage more technology than ever. And, you know, we had to have everything online with a whole new program and we'd never done that before. And, you know, so I'm doing that. I'm working for Oregon Poetry Association and it's a working board. It is not, you know, you vote on a couple things every once in a while, like some boards are, um, you are doing the work. They're, they're, um, they're the main volunteers who are doing everything or is the board like yeah, it's, that's yeah, it's really that's remarkable. how opa runs and anyway and then i was also the um the head advocate for my district yeah um so i was sitting in on you know plans of assistance meetings and I was writing grievances and I was, you know, attending those meetings too, because I was on the executive board and. At a particularly you know. difficult time. I mean, the, you know, <laughs> when all yeah. these teachers were thrown into chaos, different teachers mm -hmm. handled it differently. And uh, there, there were times when uh, during the, you know, uh, lockdowns, I would say to folks, 
from around the state they were experiencing the same thing i would say you know in other profession uh, professions people are quiet quitting and some of our members are dumb quitting like they would be so overwhelmed that they would and i completely and you know i understand I but they it. would go i'm going to you know, turn to narcotics. I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, be, you know, missing my own Zoom sessions, whatever, Ooh, because yeah. they were going, I am just not in a good headspace and I need someone to fire me. Like I need to get out of this, but mm -hmm. I don't have it in me to say, I can't be a teacher right now. And right. So then we were having to defend those folks and say, this person needs help and not punishment. Right. But boy, that was challenging sometimes when the person was really saying, I need to get out and I need you to coach me out. So yeah, it was, yeah. that was a really, really difficult part. You you took that on at the hardest time. I was um I was the advocate for eight years, my last eight years. So um yeah, I did and a you lot. All that difference. I mean, that Ooh, was tough. It was time. huge. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And you are an advocate still. Yes, I'm the, I, I'm the, in our local, we have a position that's past president. So I've been the president twice and now this year I'm past president, but the uh, person who was the, I'm on the negotiations team and the person who was the chair of the negotiations team got his admin license and, oh. we, you know, he went to the dark side. Great. Guy. Yes, he Not did. really the dark side, <laughs> but he's now going to be on the other side of the table. So I became the negotiator. So I'm past president and negotiations chair again. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're between contract negotiations, which is nice. Uh, for many, many years, we were doing like one or two year contracts. So it felt like we were perpetually in negotiation and we finally yeah. four. So we've got a little breathing room. Rest. The only thing we're having to do right now is we're having the to change our insurance, which is not the district's fault. The, the insurance company we were with is got its own issues and we have to switch so we're negotiating changing insurance this year and these are the kinds of that's things a lot that, of work know, on mm -hmm. top of being a publisher and being a writer and you know i mean it's it's all well <laughs> uh, yeah i look at you and all the things you do and i'm amazed it's like i don't know but how you do that i mean uh, you know uh, of of anyone i know like i think you're you know with the opa and the g was it gpea what was your local yep. yeah gpea yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, and and the OEA work that extends from that. So, folks listening, our 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 national union is the NEA, National Education Association, and then our state union is the Oregon Education Association, and then e and then we have regional kind of areas. So, like uh, they're called Uniserve districts, uh, and then within those Uniserve districts, every school district, or you know, sometimes a district and a half, <laughs> two districts, will be a, a local union. And so the GPEA, what does that stand for? Is that the... France Pass Education oh, Association. Okay. Yep. yep. And uh, mine is the CEA, but we've got a bunch of CEAs. Our CEA is the Central Education Association. And so, yeah, you know, this is a ton of work, uh, you know, advocating for our colleagues and, and uh, you know, ultimately advocating for our kids. Like, that's the point yeah. of a teacher's union is how do we make the best possible schools for our kids because... The best possible schools for our kids are the best places to work. So, you know, the, those two things go hand in hand. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. Thank you for yes. all for that, those years well, of work you. for your colleagues. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah. a lot. No, it was good work. It was good work. And I was happy that I was able to help and that I had the skills to communicate effectively and to push back against administration when they needed some pushback. Often um, they just need training. They haven't been uh, that is true. as long as we have been teachers. And sometimes there were we some, have to teach them how to be administrators. <laughs> there were some baby administrators yeah. who yep. needed 
yeah, learning, needed some learning. Sometimes they get bad instruction. I think what happens sometimes is they come in and somebody says, that it. building, you really need to bring down the hammer. And mm -hmm. they're going, I don't, I've, I'm brand new to this and I've been told to be mean. And we have mm -hmm. to say to them, being mean is not going to work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the questions I always ask writers, and this is just because this is kind of a Rorschach test, is mm. if you yourself were a Dungeons and Dragons character, what would be your race and class? Okay, so um, I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid, but it's been a good long time um, since I played. What I remember most about Dungeons and Dragons is being really fascinated with the whole um, idea, not of race and class so much, but of, you know, like, are you chaotic good or oh, yeah. are you, you know, um, I don't know, lawful evil or yes. whatever it is. And I always wanted to be, I had things that I wanted to be. I love the idea of chaotic good. I think because I wasn't so chaotic, mm -hmm. I was pretty lawful and I tried to be good. Um, but I love the idea of chaotic good. Um, anyway, there's that. And I loved the idea of being an elf because they live a long time. Um, they're beautiful. Um, and they're, they're very connected to the natural world. Mm -hmm. And I always liked the idea of knowing potions and you know elixirs and what an magic hero, the trees a most had combat story so by laura rediker i'm gonna and have Palin to say is based on events during the aftermath like of the australian bushfires in 2020 um rescuers discovered animals sheltering um, in wombat burrows wombats were praised so for providing a safe refuge underground like early 70s cheesy tv and homes, so there was they this did one truly show accidental heroes um, the book is written as a newscast Kung Fu, with koala and, and emu at the news uh, desk David field reporter was Kangaroo like the master introduces readers he, to wombat um, and he had new this friends staff an accidental hero a mostly true and you would see him go by laura rediger and debbie palin a stem picture book published by ifrid Done battle with his staff, which doesn't sold. seem so violent. It author, seems go to Laura very, um, I don't know, in tune with your body and movement and physics and that sort of thing. And then he would play his instrument, which was also his um, weapon. And I loved that. And I played flute. And so that was that was cool that your weapon could also be the thing that you created with. And so he was kind of my standard for um what an elf might be yeah. <laughs> even though he wasn't an elf you know he was you know a white guy playing an asian character um yeah for folks but, who don't know the backstory of that bruce lee pitched that show to hollywood and said what if we had a kung fu expert who was wandering the the you know the american west um you know americans love westerns this yeah. is a western but with kung fu and it's it's played by me and hollywood said that's a wonderful idea except we cannot possibly have you as the star we have to get a white guy and so they had a white guy who was supposed to be asian playing in it it undermined the kind of veracity of the show but it was still a cool show yes i loved the show as a kid yeah. right you know where i'm just I'm just absorbing this. And then, you know, there was the the wise master who yeah, called him grasshopper. These flashbacks um, of his yeah. training. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I loved that. So I think that became kind of my template for what D&D should be. <laughs> it's like, yes. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, right. Wandering and doing good in the world. And yet you're still very centered. So um, like I say, I think elf, I think some kind of monk is probably mm -hmm. what yeah. I would be. And um, anyway, that's, yeah. that's where I think, how about you? Oh yeah. For me, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I ask this question every week and I am not sure what I would be. Uh, so I would have to give that some thought uh, because I, like you, I think chaotic good sounds cool and I want to be, you know, fun, you know, like right. doing, you know, I certainly find that when I play any kind of role-playing game, uh, you know, video game or whatever, that that is the real sandbox where you can be good or evil or whatever. Mm -hmm. I find that I don't enjoy evil choices. Like it nope. makes me feel guilty. And I probably need to process that a lot more with my therapist about, you know, how much of that is my Judeo-Christian upbringing and, and hmm. uh, you know, guilt culture and all that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I want to be good, um, but also I I am finding as I get older I do like my life to be more orderly than I than than the than the people mm -hmm. I admire are. Like mm -hmm. I look at people who are more chaotic and I'm like they're cool. I want to be like that, and I'm like no, but I do want to have a kind of system, and I do take comfort in uh, in things being you know more regular and orderly than I like to admit. So yeah, I might be a more paladin, uh, you know. Than, than I, than I want to uh, confess to, but <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. so now you've been ambushed. So you're walking through the woods, playing your flute, and three, these are level one goblins, jump out and are menacing. What do you do? Okay, so they're not actually attacking, they're just menacing? Well, it seems they're going to attack. You could attack okay. first. Hmm. I am probably going to evaluate the situation. I, I, I'm just not somebody who acts quickly, so I'm not going to attack first because who knows? I got to see. And if they're level one, I'm not really in terrible danger. I might take some damage, but um, I think I need to wait and see what's going on. Um, if they do attack first, uh, first, um, thing is to like dodge, right? I don't, I don't need, to, it's the whole, um, yin yang thing, right? Yeah, that the there's power water, in, right? Yeah. right, right, right. Um, power and fading away, um, because then they expend their energy and you are still free and you haven't engaged and you still have opportunity then to do whatever, um, negotiate or, you know, I don't know. Um, that would have to roll out and see, but I think that would be my approach, but I would fight. I'd have to hit them with my flute. If, yeah. <laughs> if they hit me, if they really were menaced, huh? I love that weapon. That's a great idea. And that might be a bardic weapon. You know, I, you, yeah. you've got, you know, this, the, the, the but I, I like the idea of a monk with a bardic weapon, like playing the flute as a staff. And at some point, yeah, I'm going to have to whack you. <laughs> exactly so i think that's that's how i would handle that oh uh, that's brilliant okay well we're going to go Thank to you. our commercial break and when we come back i'm going to ask you what you've been daydreaming about lately 
special announcement time. Notapie Publishing has always been committed to helping authors and readers find one another. Well, the show, which is all about helping readers get to know writers, just hit a milestone. 10,000 views on YouTube. So to celebrate, instead of charging authors to advertise their books on the show, I'm going to run your ads for free throughout 2024. If you want to make a 30 to 60 second video about your book, let folks know what it's about and where to find it. And don't forget your name and the title. Uh, I'll run one or two of those in our ad spot each week. Just send an MP4 file to the Notapipe email address in the show notes. Let's fix up some readers and authors into reader relationships. 2024. More readers, more writers, more books. Hello, my name is Fred Gambino. I've worked in the story industry for four decades as a film and game concept artist and a book cover artist. My love of story has led me to write my debut novel, Dark Shepherd, to be published by Newcom Press in May 2024. A fast-paced science fiction action thriller, it opens on the beach where starships are crashed from orbit in order to break them up. Breela is in charge of several giant dismantling machines and her job is to further take apart the shattered ships. Semi-freelance, she's one of many teams who work the beach, making money on the load she collects and sends to central processing. But the beach is a difficult place. Subject to misogyny and racism, she is unjustly fired, setting off a sequence of events that leads to her fleeing across the galaxy in the company of a ragtag group of misfits pursued by agents of the ruthless and politically powerful Church of Second Light for a secret she didn't know she possessed. Only Brill can locate a mysterious rip, a wormhole that will leave humanity vulnerable to an ancient enemy, and only she stands a chance of closing it. Available for pre-order now at www.newcompress.co.uk An Accidental Hero, a mostly true Wombat story by Laura Rediger and Debbie Palin, is based on events during the aftermath of the Australian bushfires in 2020. Rescuers discovered animals sheltering in wombat burrows. Wombats were praised for providing a safe refuge underground. While they didn't invite other wildlife into their homes, they did truly become accidental heroes. The book is written as a newscast, with koala and emu at the news desk. Field reporter Kangaroo introduces readers to Wombat and her new friends. An Accidental Hero, a Mostly True Wombat Story by Laura Rediger and Debbie Palin. A STEM picture book published by Ifrig Publishing, available at ifrigpublishing.com or wherever books are sold. For more about the author, go to lauraredigerbooks.com. Welcome back, everybody. So, Jennifer, what have you been daydreaming about lately? All right. So um, since I retired, and that was just back in summer, um, I'm getting better sleep, which means that I am because I can sleep in. And when I wake up, I'm not stressed about getting to school. And, um, you know, the whole the whole workaday life and get my kids to school. And it's just you get up and you're immediately in your day planning, yeah. thinking what needs to happen next. And there's no time to just lay there and think about what you dreamed or, um, you know, what you might do with the day. It's already right. set. You just got to get to it. Um, so I have had time to think about dreams and to pay attention to dreams again. Um, I did a lot of that in my 20s when I was, you know, not so stressed with work, didn't have a family. Um, I did a lot of dream work and interpretation. And, um, 
and I'm able to get back to that. And I mentioned earlier in the show that one of the first things I do when I'm writing in the morning is to write down dreams. And, you know, a lot of times it doesn't make sense and it doesn't go anywhere, but sometimes there's a gem of a feeling or a question that pops up and then I have something to think about for the whole day and many days. Um, and so I'm really enjoying that. Um, some recent dream imagery that's been showing up are large animals and it's new. I haven't had like a series of large animal dreams before. And so I know that something has to be going on, um, you know, psychologically, uh, but I don't know what it is yet. So I'm thinking and thinking and thinking about these large animals and the contexts and the, you know, what it could all mean. But um, a few nights ago, there were escaped gorillas in the neighborhood and they were attacking people. And I wasn't necessarily in danger, but they were big and scary. And um, and then I had a dream where there was a cougar um, and it had crouched and it was looking at me and my husband and um, all of these deer And then these wild horses that were blue and white were like walking by this cougar and it wasn't, it didn't care about any of those big animals. It wanted my husband and me Mm. and we stood shoulder to shoulder and walked into the house. Anyway, um, I don't have to tell you all my dreams, but but that's really cool. Like there is a lot to plumb there, right? I mean, that, that, that really is fascinating. Yeah. And anyway, they're powerful animals. They're big animals. You know, the horses and the deer were beautiful, but then there's these predatory, dangerous ones. And it's like, what are big animals doing in these right. dreams walking through? And, um, and anyway, so and, I don't know what they what are. Extent, I wonder to what extent, how, how, I mean, you've got the gorillas are attacking, but the cougar is still, mm-hmm. how much of that is you know and who knows you know we're always speculating about these things but you are at this place where you are experiencing this big change in the pace of your life and you've got this power but often not moving right Uh, that's interesting to think about you know uh, how how much are you the cougar how much are you the giant you know the, the 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 gorilla that is menacing and powerful but now can move slowly (laughs) you know well that's really lovely i had forgotten that that's actually one way to get into dream work is to imagine that you are all the characters so like i am my husband in the dream i am even the landscape is you know yeah all the elements neighborhood in one Mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting Mm -hmm. that's cool yeah no it's great stuff to think about right and um yeah and I want to plummet for poetry. I've been trying to get something out of there, you know, a feeling or an image. Um, we'll see. I'm pretty sure that'll be a rich field to yeah. to mine. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, so <laughs> before we go, we have to make sure we tell folks about your announcement. So, what is coming up for you professionally? So I have a book coming out this month february 20th it drops it's available for pre-order right now it is present and speaking everywhere from not a pipe publishing thank you ben 
Yay! Oh, beautiful. Uh, folks are just going to. And so when folks are looking at it and they're going, oh, that this looks kind of, you know, like, I don't know if they can see that this is found poetry on top of other text that you found and then mm-hmm. pulled this poetry out of it. And folks who know found poetry, this will be very familiar, but folks who have not seen this, it is a really cool form. So the the poetry is what you are discovering. And then much of the book is about that theme of discovering the beauty in the world around us as you're doing that very thing. So it's it's just a... It's a, it's a marvelous book. I, I I really enjoy it. And it is, I think one of the cool things about it is the way it turned out, it looks like a children's book. Yeah. Very much for adults, but it's a book about wonder. And so it's fine that it looks like a children's book. It feels appropriate that it's like, this is a book that mm-hmm. I can, you know, you know, it's, it's not something I would read to a child. I think they would go, I don't, I don't get it. Right. But as an adult, that kind of nostalgia for a children's shaped book fits the experience. It's, so yeah. It's I, a different kind of book. And I think, yeah, I love that, you know, you have that idea that it's a children's book. The pictures are big. Yeah. And um, if I do say so myself, the more you look at the pictures, the more you can pull out because not all the words are obscured right and sometimes the words that you're not supposed to see enhance yes. right they're, they're the background against which the other words really come forward and there is an interplay and there's just a whole lot of um i mean you can read it through very quickly and still be inspired i think and lifted up um, a lot of it's very positive um while being realistic at the same time i think um but then if you wanted to look at each poem individually there's a lot to see you know just to even see what pieces i was working from yeah one of the things i admired about it is that 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 it is positive and realistic i you know i i think i would have if it had been saccharine i would have been like oh i don't like this right there is this very you know real you know the the fact that i wouldn't read this to a child like this is you know there there's 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 a a kind of gritty realism and hope which is what i like in my literature i don't want somebody saying here's a hallmark card poem but at the same time i don't want something that's just saying there's no it's all hopeless like you know and so i really like the way that it you know how do we do the work of finding the beauty and the magic right and right. the the book is literally that like you're holding this testament to doing the hard work of looking for the beauty it's really cool thank you thank you um, i'm really pleased thank you so much for helping to bring it into the world oh yeah my 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 it is an honor i i am glad to get to be associated with this book at, at all um so i did want to ask you about uh this there's this new uh thing that I have I've taken on. I, I'm I am frustrated with the fact that as I am looking at the world around me, I think the the kind of outrage machine, kind of algorithmic speaking, has created this this uh a kind of juxtaposition between the need to get attention and the need to be, you know, offensive, whatever, to such a degree that people now are saying things that they don't, I, I don't know if they believe. Maybe this person believes this thing and maybe this is the the hottest take for attention that they could possibly give. And so to 
both satirize that and lean into it, which I recognize is ironic. What is your hottest take that uh, that that you know will will uh, generate uh, you know outrage and and get you attention? And we'll we'll you know post this uh, and 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 say you know here's this giant controversy that Jennifer Rood started. All right. Well, um, you know the Red Cross has been sending out emails. Um, that there's a blood shortage, right? And that that happens every ever so often. And my husband is getting all of these mm -hmm. cards that say you need to come in and give blood because he gives blood. He's um, he's a veteran, and he happens to have um, O negative blood, which oh. is the universal donor. Ah. Um, so anyway, the Red Cross is after him. Um, there are all kinds of different blood types, right? And um, there is one particular kind of person who has a particular kind of blood type um, that doesn't go to anybody else. They're, they're kind of selfish about their blood. Um, AB positive blood type people are just takers. That's my hot take <laughs> is that the AB positive people are takers. Um, they, their blood isn't good. And so Yours can only go to somebody else who's AB positive, right? My, uh, yeah, and I'm a taker, right? Yep. <laughs> so I'm speaking from experience that AB positive people are takers. Um, yeah, my blood can only go to um, to other people with my blood. And it's a pretty rare blood type. Mm -hmm. It's like 3%, I think, is correct, of people have it. And so my mom, who worked in the blood lab, um, flip lot phlebotomy phlebotomy and um anyway she worked in the lab um she told me it's like don't even bother giving blood it's like um, yeah. she said it will go bad on the shelf wow. it's like your blood won't be used and because so my understanding is people who are ab positive can receive from everyone right? i can take i'm yeah. a taker any blood <laughs> is good for me so yes. yeah yeah so, so that's so that's really great for me if i'm ever in an accident or need right. a transfusion Yes, uh, you know, so so Mitt Romney are, is was right. Some people are just takers, but he was wrong about whom. It's the right. AB, it's the AB positive people are the yeah. Takers. You got to watch out for them. Okay, we're, we're, see, this is the controversy. We're going to start. Right. We're going right. to get this to be uh, uh, trending. Uh, <laughs> AB positive the, people, the, are you know, all, all AB positive people are just takers. I love it. That's great. Um, so right. where can our listeners find you when you aren't writing your books, although yours is related to your books? Where can folks find you online? All right. So um, I have an Instagram account. It's at Jenrood, J-E-N-N-R-O-O-D 100. Um, so lots of doubles there. Two N's, two O's, two zeros at the end. Jenrood 100. And I post... Um, I just I just post my found poetry stuff there. Wow. So um, it's the stuff that would be related to what's in the book. And um, you don't get a lot of, you know, here's me at the beach or there's none of that. Um, it's just really, you know, if you're interested in seeing more of my found poetry, that's where you can go. Yeah, well, and it's, it's a wonderful kind of uh, teaser for, you know, the, if you like this, you will love this book. So I, I, I highly recommend folks check out your Instagram there. Um, so before we get to our send off, uh, there's some folks I have to thank. Uh, thanks to the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song. That's I Prefer the Dusk. 
Uh, let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three Ds. And thanks to Halise and the CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email that to notapipepublishing at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. We always appreciate you, Doug. Uh, and I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing books written by writers like Jennifer, who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. And please check out Jennifer's Present and Speaking Everywhere. Tell a friend about it. Give it a, you know, short, that, that click that fifth star. Give it a short review. It makes a huge difference. Uh, so if you've got three minutes, make Jennifer's Day. Give her book a five-star review. Uh, and I am too old to tell you to smash that like button. But if you could gently tap on the like button an odd number of times, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you write a funny review, a fun review, I'm going to start sharing more of those at the beginning of the show, too. So uh, please uh, consider writing a review of our show. Uh, th those are always fun. Um, so, Jennifer, as folks go into their week, what's a piece of advice you want to give everybody? Oh, my goodness. Poetry is everywhere. All you got to do is look. That's that's don't forget to look for the poetry. It's everywhere completely agree uh, and i always say uh, a poem without line breaks isn't written in verse our lives need line breaks to be the best poems we can make them so mind those line breaks and third no matter how much you procrastinate we're still proud of you if i take my time i'm my